Okie dokie, back, back, back. All right, actually, we never even started. So, <laughs> so today uh, we are going to be talking about the Beatitudes, hashtag blessed. And so I'm Laura Barclay. And I'm Sarah Hoff, agnostic. And I'm a Baptist minister. And we are Bible Bitches, a podcast where we riff on all things biblical, feminist, and pop culture. Uh, today's fun fact is that I fell off a treadmill a few weeks ago. Um, okay. I am. <laughs> it was like, do you ever get so engrossed in something? Like I was really engrossed in a podcast and I was listening to it and I just, I think I just kind of like stopped running and it was like a lot of things happened at once. I like stopped running. I dropped my phone and then I was like, I got to pick up my phone, but I didn't leave the treadmill. <laughs> so it was just, oh my God. Yeah. It was bad. <laughs> I, uh, I skinned my knee, but luckily I like, I didn't even realize I'd done that because I had like running pants on and yeah. I just tucked and rolled. So I like avoided any sort of like head injury, but it, it caused a kerfuffle in the, uh, the downtown Y and like, apparently Ryan saw it and just stared at me and then like went back to working out <laughs> and, uh, and one of my friends showed up and I guess Ryan talked to the friend before coming over to see me. And uh, so when I saw the friend, I didn't realize they had talked. He was like, heard you fall off a treadmill. I was like, that was five minutes ago. Like, how do you already know about that? Also, <laughs> well, I like that that's what 10, mar- 10 years of marriage does. It's like, your husband is just like, ugh. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, Laura, you just fell off a treadmill. Uh, yeah, it's. <laughs> It's like get your shit in order. Yeah, get your shit in order. You just like forgot you were on a treadmill for a second. Like, what about you? Have you ever just like done something super clumsy? Only every single day of my life. Yes. I wear heels a lot, and I especially mm-hmm. like platform heels. I basically just want to be like six five and just kind of towering over everybody. except for that I'm super clumsy and so about 65% of the time that I wear these tall heels I just fall over like every three steps (laughs) that's right because you want to be 6'5 and towering over everyone and I like it I I look like a baby like a foal trying to get up for the first time (laughs) (laughs) terrible (laughs) 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 stupid giraffe you're just like I'm. I'm gonna. I'm gonna get my. I'm gonna get my sticks together and walk. I'm gonna do it. I'm like, how far away can I get my center of gravity? <laughs> I love it. Yeah, I love it. Um. So, uh, yeah. If I go through a day without a clumsy, uh, a clumsy incident, I generally I'm like hashtag blessed. Um, so today we are talking about the Beatitudes, uh, which are eight blessings stated by Jesus in his Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter five. And four of those blessings are also stated in the book of Luke in his Sermon on the Plain. Um, although in Luke, those four blessings are also paired with four statements of woes. Yeah, because they went down the mountain. Hey, uh, hi. <laughs> okay, anyways. Uh, what does the beatitude mean? <laughs> Wouldn't you like to know, Sarah? 
<laughs> All right. So, okay, I'm back. I'm not laughing. No more jokes. This is not the time for jokes. This is going to be a super serial podcast. We're about to get hit with some cease and desist letters from serial the podcast. <laughs> What's her name, Sarah? Uh, Koenig. Sarah Koenig is going to be like, your ass suit. Okay. So, Beatitudes. Let's let's, uh, talk about what they are for a second. In the Vulgate, or Latin version of the Bible, each blessing started with the word B-E-A-T-I. So, B-E-A-T-I. Am I pronouncing it right? I don't know. Yeah. B-E-A-T-I? B-E-A-T-I? Whatever. B-E-A-T-I. Yes, I like that. B-E-A-T-I. Bitay. Um, this could mean this could mean happy, rich, or blessed. This is according to David Rosselli in a paper called Gender, Class, and Ideology, the Social Function of Virgin Sacrifice in Europe Euripides. 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 Children of Heracles. What the fuck? <laughs> That's what came up on the Google. <laughs> I okay, so this was me following, I was like trying to get to the root of it, and I went down the rabbit hole of like you know, the, uh, yeah, yeah, fuck it, no, but whatever. This, this is what I read. Like, I read the same thing. I mean, I didn't yeah. read it okay. in a paper called The Virgin Sacrifice of Your Pedes, Children of Heracles. I, I like to take uh, a real deep dive, Sarah, just a, just the deepest dive possible. You're like, why are you reading about virgin sacrifice in Euripides, Children of Heracles? Yeah, I actually kind of am interested into, am interested to know. It was, it was like, it was like, I usually start with, you know, like books from, you know, divinity school. And then I go to Wikipedia and then when Wikipedia cited something and I like to go to the source to make sure it's right. And this was, this was where it was cited. So, uh, yeah. Or, or was I reading about virgin sacrifice for fun? You decide, Sarah. You know what I do to research? What's that? I type in things I did basically just type in the topic. So, Beatitudes, scholarly article. <laughs> Anyways. Okay. So, gender, class, and ideology, the social function of virgin sacrifice in your, in your PDs, your PDs. Euripides. 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 Like, Euripides. Yes. Euripides, children of Heracles. And as chapter headings began to be used in the Bible, the Latin noun, beatudo, beatudo, be a tudo. Be a tudo. I don't know. I'm not. Be die tudo. I don't know. <laughs> be a tudo. Yeah, I don't know. Let's just say it all the ways. Oh my God. <laughs> Why are you being such a tudo? <laughs> right. <laughs> wow, you're really being be die today, Sarah. <laughs> yeah. You need to be a bringing that tudo down. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, need your, I need your tudo and a B and not. Not an F, okay? <laughs> being a Tudo. Um, the Latin noun, be a Tudo, was used for this chapter heading. The word was later Anglicanized into beatudes, beati, beatitudes, beatitudes, B-E-A-T-Y-T-U-D-E-S, beatitudes, in the Great Bible of 1540. I love the Great Bible of 1540. It's the best. <laughs> it's the Great Bible. <laughs> Okay. Mm. Okay. This word was later Anglicanized into beatitudes in the Great Bible of 1540. And though the spelling changed, the word just ended up sticking. 
and you can actually find a printing of this on archive.org. So feel free to pause and go to archive.org. We'll wait, uh, we'll wait several days while you read the entire great Bible of 1540 on archive.org. We'll just be right here. Let, let us know what you think. Yeah. Highlight the lights. <laughs> right. Uh, okay, so funny story. I was conducting a wedding a while back, and one partner was church, you know, kind of like raised in the church, stayed in the church, um, and the other um, had been kind of born into the church and had not been since they were little, so they didn't really remember a whole lot about Christianity or the Bible. And I was asking them what verses they liked for the service. And one partner said, I really always liked the Beatitudes. You know, it was, it was nice. And then the other partner, the one who hadn't been to church in a long time, said, why the Beatitudes and not the A-attitudes? Like, they thought I was giving them the crap version of something instead of the A-list VIP parts of the Bible. <laughs> no way. Oh, oh, totally. They were so serious. Like, this... But, and like the other partner was like dying laughing, like just crying laughing. And I was like trying to keep a straight face, but I ultimately couldn't. And yeah. we all had a good laugh about it. It was great. Uh, the person was totally on board when I explained that it is the, the origin of the word. And hey, it's, you're not getting the, you're not getting the crap version. <laughs> <laughs> They're getting like the Ralph's knockoff version. Yeah. You're getting Sam's choice. Yeah, Sam's choice Bible. <laughs> um, I mean, and like that's fair. I only want the best to you. Um, right. Don't sue us, Sam's choice. I I love Star. Like I love the I love the you know store brand. Bullshit. You definitely have like Bush's baked beans. Not that. Not that <laughs> store brand. You've got them full on Cheerios. You think? Uh, I love that. You probably think I've got a can of Bush's baked beans just that I'm secretly eating out of right now. <laughs> <laughs> like you're a fucking 1910s hobo. But <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm just going west on the old train, eating out of my can of baked beans. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, um, so let's just read them. The Beatitudes that we're talking about, in case you forgot. Um, Jesus, just so you guys know, Jesus had been preaching and teaching all over Galilee. And in Matthew, it states that he climbed up a mountain and people were all around listening. And in the longest sermon that Jesus gives, which is called the Sermon on the Mount, he also does the Lord's Prayer, it's super famous, and also does these eight blessings, or as we call them, Beatitudes. And they are, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, or falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they, they persecute the prophets, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And at the close of the sermon, we know he's followed by multitudes down the mountain, according to the text. 
So we get a sort of internal meeting in uh, Matthew. Uh, Blessed are the poor in spirit, the pure in heart. The language is very personal. But in Luke's version, the four blessings uh, look a bit different. Over in Luke 6, that's where you're going to find this. In this version, um, he has come down the mountain and is giving a sermon on the plain. So slightly different, very, but very similar to the Sermon on the Mount. You'll notice that the wording is different, though, um, with four Beatitudes instead of eight, however. So in Luke 6, 20 and following states, uh, looking at the disciples, he said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. After that, we get four woes, not like Joey from Blossom, whoa, whoa. but as in, whoa. <laughs> I'm so glad I don't read the script beforehand because that's just fantastic. That's the deepest cut that we've done. Like, if you do not remember the early 90s, you have no idea what that is. It's fine. It's fine. Um, but we're talking as in like, whoa, sadness, tragedy, right? Um, so in verse 24 and following, it states, but woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when everyone speaks of, well of you, for that is how their ancestors treated the false prophets. The Luke version of the sermon is far more political and social and commentary. Here there is a sense of justice. Those who are monetarily poor and physically hungry are blessed, and the rich and, and you know, the well-fed are getting these woes, these sort of like curses. Matthew makes it more sort of... Uh, focused on the other world, like, or like the afterworld, because it's like the poor in spirit for they, you know, for the, theirs is the kingdom of God kind of thing. So, uh, yeah, it kind of makes you wonder if like Matthew is secretly wealthy and hedging his bets on the way he interpreted Jesus, like over here with the four camel garage, like I'm assume he means the poor in spirit are blessed because I like my camels and I want to trick them out with extra blankets and leather satchels. <laughs> um, so again just as a reminder scholars believe that matthew and luke are both using the book of mark and a now lost document called q that just catalogs stains of jesus this is why matthew and luke are very similar but each put their own spin on it you can read more about this in Bart Ehrman's book, The New Testament, A Historical Introduction to the Early Christian Writings. He's a New Testament scholar at UNC who we studied at Wake Forest and has written prolifically. Anyway, Sarah, what are the implications of each kind of version of the Matthew version versus the Luke version? Well, I mean, theologically, it is, it is accepted. It is widely accepted that Luke is more fired up about social justice and inequality. And if you read Matthew, you're like, uh, I don't really feel good today, but Jesus loves me. It's much more like, it's like a, it's like a platitude, you know? Yeah. Kind of like a, more of a personalized Jesus maybe versus Luke saying like, this is about community and, um, how we treat our, um, you know, the people in our community is important. Luke, yeah. I think Luke is more, more political in a lot of ways, especially about, uh, Jesus' death and its implications. Um, which we'll probably get into in a future episode. 
I tend to favor it more because I think a first century poor Palestinian Jew in Roman occupied territory, i.e. Jesus, would have some definite opinions on economic justice. I think we could use the differences between the two also to wonder about the goals of each author. Like why is one more political versus the other? Like what are each of their motivations to um, change the text of Q? Like if you have in front of you a document of quotations about Jesus, why, why would you, why would one have one version and one the other? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I don't really care about that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's not that I don't care. It's just that, like, you know, when when I've been reading this, when I've been reading articles about this stuff, and to be fully transparent, I was mostly reading about the Matthew Beatitudes, not the Luke. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, when I was reading this, or when I was reading articles about this, it it did seem very sort of straightforward, or at least the Matthew text seemed pretty straightforward. Like there wasn't on the surface or what I was reading, there didn't seem to be a lot of like intriguing debate about it. It was just like, look how like nice and sweet this is. And there is hope for everybody. And this is like a great thing and is super malleable to basically like any um, expression of faith. And, um, and I, it kind of, like, it kind of, it kind of poked at some deeper questions that needle me that I can't, that I'll try to articulate, but I'm not sure that I can eloquently, but I'll try. But before I do, like, what do you think? I, I think about the whole thing, like about all the Beatitudes or like Luke versus Matthew. So what were you hoping to like tackle in this? Because it sounds like you're setting up the the conversation to be about like the Luke versus Matthew. Is that it's just uh, well, a couple of things. I just think it's interesting to note that first of all, there are differences between the Synoptic Gospels, which are right. Matthew, Mark, Mark, and Luke. Um, yeah. John John was kind of doing his own thing in a lot yeah. of reasons, and it was written later than the others. He was like the redheaded stepchild. Yeah, he was just like over here, just doing his own thing. Um, I think it's interesting to note that there are differences in these texts and that that has a lot to do with the communities with which they were written. And so we have to kind of take in the historical, you know, circumstances that Jesus was in to try to kind of excavate the meaning from these and figure out what, what was going on, what would Jesus have thought, and what were the, what was the sociopolitical happenings because Jesus was a human being. Mm -hmm. So who, you know, and if you're a Christian, he's more than that, but he was also a human being, right? The, um, we Christians kind of tend to all agree that he's both human and divine. So, um, yeah, I think I would just point to that, that don't, don't take it at face value and kind of dig a little bit deeper. Um, I, I would say with the kind of, you, you know, your statement on like, it's just kind of like nice platitudes. I think there's more to it. I mean, I think there's a lot of, I think there's a lot that's in here that, that is kind of radical. Um, if you look at, if you kind of take them both together, I think you kind of have to, especially in, in America, I almost, I think this kind of mirrors the divide in American Christianity, to be honest, because Matthew walked away, you know, Matthew walked away and wrote a narrative that, that has a more personalized Jesus, like, 
you know, uh, oh, okay, you know, it's about me and Jesus and am I poor in spirit and myself, that kind of thing, versus a Luke interpretation that would be, what are you in relationship to the people around you? And so if we're, if we're kind of looking at this at face value and interpreting it for us in today's context, we kind of ha have an American Christianity where people on the religious right to the kind of personalized Jesus a little bit more. It's about accepting Jesus into your heart and saying that you believe that, you know, he saved you and that's it. And that's, that's where your responsibility ends versus, you know, kind of more progressive Christianity that says we're actually kind of responsible for the people around us and, and making sure that we, uh, help make a community that's more justice filled, um, for the poor and, and those who are oppressed. So I don't know. I think it's just interesting because it, what is it that other people don't have and why don't they have it? Not just, Oh, I need to go hand out food at a soup kitchen, but like, why are people hungry? And like looking at in our country, why, why people would be weeping, why people would be, you know, hated or excluded. Um, there's a, there's a crack ton of reasons for that, especially in a country where, we're getting ever more divided on a daily basis. So, 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 so that's kind of what I mean. Um, cause you're, what I, what you're saying assumes a lot. It assumes that, that when people read this, that they, that, that they will feel some sort of call to action. But what I read in this is much more passive. It's like, blessed are you, to turn the other cheek, to be really passive, to be meek, to be, um, to be hated, to be, you know, sad, because at some point you will find the happiness, you will find the, you know, the paradise essentially. And in, and importantly is the, I think the statement of yours is the kingdom of God, because that's in both. And I think that that greatly implies that the, happiness or the laughter or the blessings that they find will be in the afterlife. And I think that that is super problematic when you look at how, how to act out love because first, I mean, especially for women, right? Especially in like, if you look at the history of women and what it's meant to be a woman and how you're supposed to be meek and mild and turn the other cheek and be really passive um, and, and in reality, that isn't doing anyone any good. I'm, I'm about to get into like the whole nonviolence resistance thing, but before we get into that, my, I guess like my biggest like needling on this is that, I mean, like we can talk about the theory all day and there's a lot to talk about there. It's really interesting, but what is actually being stated is that you are going to be persecuted now and later you will find your reward. And I think that there is prob there are prob problems with prosperity gospel of that in that. I think there are problems with how that message gets uh, told to and interpreted by women in domestic violence situations. And I think that there are a lot of problems for how people live their lives um, just in a general way, there is no power in meekness. I agree with that. Um, I think the Bible has been interpreted in a lot of really shitty ways, um, that are not helpful in 
probably not what Jesus meant because we do know from Luke that Jesus' ministry was funded by women. Um, so well, some, some of Jesus' ministry was funded by women. A lot of Jesus' ministry was funded by women. I mean, like, if you, if you read it, it says that, okay, Jesus was followed by, I'm trying to remember the, the verse right now, but it says that basically Jesus was followed by, like, his disciples and women who funded his ministry. But my point is that, that because men wrote the Bible in a lot of respects, the fact that Jesus' deferential treatment to women was put in there at all kind of shows holy shit like there's he he thought a great deal about women um and like if we go to the section on um like his his pronouncement against divorce had far more it has less to do with divorce in general and far more to do with the fact that when when women were divorced in that day and age they had no claim to property no claim to wealth so they were destitute at that point so he was saying like don't do that men because you're leaving these women to be destitute basically um okay what i'm, I'm just i'm just trying to i'm just trying to connect the dots keep going uh, well kind of you're talking about the whole like meekness thing so i think it, that's not something that you like that the whole turn the other cheek stuff that's in matthew um it's interesting to see how the jewish community has interpreted that because i think it was amy joe levine um, I'm trying to remember what I read. I'm, I'm totally kind of pulling this out of my butt. Um, but she said that turning the other cheek doesn't mean don't, how, the, how their community has interpreted it is not turn the other cheek and just take it. It's if you, if someone slaps you and you turn the other cheek, you're exposing their uh, brutality. So if you want to connect the dots, like you talked about nonviolent resistance, right? So if you want to connect the dots, um, thinking about nonviolent resistance, especially in the United States um, in the civil rights movement, Martin Luther King was not saying, hey, like, let's just get our asses kicked for no reason. It was very strategic. Um, it was with him and the stu student, like, nonviolent coordinating committee. It was like, let's go out, get this on camera, because this is how we're treated all the time. And let's, let's expose the evil of racism in the South. And so I think it's far more strategic in terms of how it has been interpreted in, I think, in the spirit with which it was said. Now, certainly if you read this at face value, like I said, it kind of mirrors the divide, I think, in American Christianity, where you and I growing up would have been told, oh yeah, like, let's just be meek and take it. Like, that is a horrible, horrible, shitty way of looking at this text and no one should ever stay in an abusive relationship. And if you are a church that's preaching that, then I think you need to take another look at the gospel because that's awful. So, okay. When you are talking about nonviolent resistance, one of the things that you're taking for granted in that is that the resistor has some sort of agency, has some sort of power, not because society is giving them power, but because they are taking it, because they are shoring up the numbers. And that's essentially like what gives them, what gives the underserved, the voiceless, any kind of voice is like banding together, right? And you also talk about the strategy involved. Mm -hmm. And, um, and how, and like that in of itself is a claim to power that you can choose and not choose that there is strategy involved. And while that's all, that's all good. 
And that all makes a lot of sense for nonviolent resistance because you do have to be very strategic. It's not just like go out there and like get your ass kicked. Um, but as far as the text is concerned, I just don't see it being said there. I, what I see being said there is, you know, blessed are you who weep now. Blessed are, are you when people hate you. Um, blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in spirit. Blessed are the peacemakers. Historically, you know, it's, it's hard to kind of like parse out the like modern overlay because we're so immersed in it over against like the, because we, we can constantly speculate about the verbiage and like what Jesus may or may not have meant. But when it comes to like what is happening in today's society, I'm, I feel like this text it just feels very like problematic to me when, when I think about the work that I do with domestic abuse survivors. Sure. What, like, what do you think about the, uh, the Luke version? I'm still not, I'm still not like in love. I mean, I, I, I'm still reading it as like, as, as the retribution or the blessings that come to either one of these groups is not is not something that the persecuted get has any agency over right so like the persecuted or the um you know you when people hate you or when you weep or whoever like there there isn't an implication that you have agency for the for the like next step of you will laugh it's like you you are this now but you will be this later it's not like you are this now and you have you can take the steps to do this later just like on the other side uh woe to you who is rich for you have already received your comfort and the implication there is that they are then going to receive some sort of retribution for being wealthy which i think is another whole like problem because you know yes wealth you know power corrupts blah 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 but that's not the root of the issue. The root of the issue is the greed and selfishness involved. And so that also to me seems like attacking, attacking the wrong problem in a way. I don't necessarily, because I mean, I, I think if you connect it back to kind of what he's saying about the rich man going, like it's not in his text, but it's harder for a rich man to get to the kingdom of heaven than like a camel through the eye of a needle. I think it's, I think there is a huge divide in this country, which like currently between the, like the rich and poor and the ever growing divide between the rich and the poor. Yes. So like, I, I don't see a whole lot of rich people being like, you know what? We should just redistribute the wealth. Like I think, I think he's, I think attacking wealth in general is, is a huge part of the problem because people who tend to hoard money want more money. And sure. So I, I guess, I guess my point here is that I do really, really like the Luke version of this. Um, I think, um, I think what you are talking about in general is, I'm, I'm guessing what you're trying to say about the, the like women in domestic violence situations is that they don't have the ability to organize and get a lot of people together and be strategic and nonviolent resistance against men. Um, well, I, I think that as an example, I think that any like, that it's important to distinguish between the, the um, like between the theory 
because the theory is always like much easier to talk about than the actual like day to day. And then also between the group and the individual, because what is uh, possible for the group is very different than what is possible for the individual. Sure. But I think, and I, but I think that's also uh, the, the church's response a lot of times is just to start with charity, which is towards the individual, right? And not to focus on justice, which is for the group. So I think that's kind of what we're talking about in this scenario, which the individual enter at like, i.e. a woman in a domestic violence situation or, or man, um, it's, it's about trying to get them out and into safety. And, and it's difficult for them to have a sense of like justice and agency until they are out of that situation. So again, like, and again, like this is, uh, like, I, I know that line of thinking, but then there's also that other like line of thinking that justifies staying in that abusive situation. That's like the idea that like full martyrdom will change the other person. And so, you know, you just need to stick with it. This other person will change. But the deal is that I guess, yeah, I guess this is my real question. Like, where do you draw the line between loving the other over against loving the self is essentially what I'm trying to get at. Like pure martyrdom isn't helpful in my opinion. Like if it is, you're right. If it's strategic, if it's being seen, if it makes a statement, but everyday kind of martyrdom is problematic, unhelpful, and doesn't teach anybody anything. Right. And so and so in the former, there is agency because they understand what it is that they're going into and they're doing it with intention and choice. Mm -hmm. In the latter, they're not doing it or they, they're doing it with, I mean, theoretically, they're doing it with intention, but with intention that is also sort of like bound to the perpetrator because they're still like under that person's thumb, right? Right. Um, and I'm just trying to figure out how to reconcile this with the idea that sometimes choosing the self, choosing to not be meek, choosing to um, not weep anymore uh, is, is the right choice. Right. Well, I mean, if you look at the, if you look at this version, it also says that the, you know, the Luke version, it says, bless you, you eat now for you will laugh. That's presupposing you will take care of yourself and you will come to a point where you laugh. I totally, I totally think that absolutely martyrdom for martyrdom's sake is, is not worth it. It's not good. If you were in a domestic violence situation, you should not stay there. You should get out. Um, and I think it goes back to the greatest commandment and the second greatest commandment, right? It says like, love God and then love your neighbor as you love yourself, which presupposes that you love yourself first. So you have to be able to give yourself agency and love yourself enough to, to say, look, I'm a full child of God and I, I need to take care of myself. And if your cup is empty, you can't do that. If you're, if you're, no, you should absolutely get out of that situation. I mean, like, yes, I agree with you, but there's, there's still that piece that, that I keep being like, like, maybe I don't agree with you. Like, I can't quite reconcile the idea that we like sort of vacillate between having this kind of like, 
universal assumption about what justice and love is, and then also like having really individualistic ideas of what love and justice are. So like in this case, we're talking, we're assuming that the way that we talk about love is the way that other people talk about love. When in fact, there are plenty of cultures who, um, in which the way that they understand love and the way they understand retribution and justice is very different and very, in my opinion, problematic. And, um, and, but for them, the way that we are acting out love, the way that we are acting out retribution and justice and non or by like nonviolence or violence um, is very wrong and anti-religious. Right. And, and so I can't quite, get past this like very like bound to the socio-historical moment. And even within that moment, there's still so many gray nuances because it's just, and, and then at the very end of the day, you're still just looking at this text that is saying, be smaller is what I'm seeing. Just like be more meek, be more um, weep now, because later you'll get it. But there's no indication that you need to work for getting it. It's just that like you do this and later you will have this. I think uh, Jesus wasn't leading a workshop, right? He was giving a sermon. So that's, that's kind of my response to that. He's not gonna be like, A, do this, then B, do that. It's he's giving a sermon. He's trying to be inspirational, right? So there's different purposes for different, different things. So that's, that's my response to that. I think the other thing is that regardless of if someone's tied in, in some way to a, a religion or set of beliefs or practices um, like Christianity or Judaism or, or Islam, uh, you're still going to be tied to something that we're all going to disagree on. So let's say the Constitution, right? We're all tied to the Constitution. Holy shit, no one can agree on what the Second Amendment means. Like... It's it. I, I think we would be if, if it wasn't this text, it would be something else that people argue about. So I I don't think that uh, the problem is the text in a lot of ways. I think it's how we interpret it and ultimately how we go about the lens through which we we look at life. And so so I, yeah, I just I don't that's that's kind of where I land is like people who have people who are interpreting this to mean uh hey you should be meek and stay with your husband who's beating you uh well for one they're ignoring a whole lot of other parts of the bible and also the socio-historical context of jesus but uh they're not taking they're not taking into account the humanity of others right the the equal worth of every human being and which which should be granted under the constitution if you live in the united states but also the bible I guess my question is like, who is giving them the mercy? Who is giving them the earth? Who is comforting those who mourn? Who's giving the poor in spirit the kingdom of heaven? Do you think that God has any sense of agency in the world? Is it, is it solely God? Is it solely people? Is it God and people working together? Which is what I think. Um, so like, I think it's a bit of both, right? I think it's, I think it's God and people working together to provide the best outcome. And if people aren't willing to work for it, then it's not going to happen. So hence the Holocaust, right? That's why, you know, like if you look at Holocaust, uh, like I completely defer to Jewish theologians 
um, on that because that is who you should refer to on the Holocaust. And they basically are like, uh, God turned God's back for that. Like that's that's kind of what where they're at. They're like, this is this is the thing that happened, and it's a horror, horrifying, terrible thing, and and God turned God's back. From a perspective of you know, kind of process theology there and liberation theology, it's you know, we kind of have to be the hands and feet of God because it's all of us working together. And so in order to bring justice to the the poor and the oppressed, we've got to be willing to like carry out the mission of God and and let this happen. The kingdom I think we also presuppose whenever we're talking about the kingdom of heaven that it's the next life. And I don't I don't think that. I think it's it's the kingdom of God uh, a lot of times had both other realm and this realm implications um, in terms of if you're kind of looking at what he's saying and how you're interpreting it. Um, I know we talked about this in our New Testament class, that it isn't this entirely otherworldly thing. So it's a thing that can happen here. And it's a thing that, that we've seen people fight for and get more rights. I mean, we've, we've observed this, right? I, I tend to think that it is, it is a mix of God and people working together to, to get justice. I don't know. That's kind of where I land. Yeah. I'll land there. You don't land there? No, I mean, well, I mean, like, and that's why I'm agnostic because like, if like, I couldn't, I can't and couldn't reconcile all of the, first of all, all of the like incredibly differing and contradictory stories in the Bible. And then also like, it's hard to, it's hard to decide which text to read at face value and which text to interpret, right? Um, and there's context for all of them and all these things. But at the end of the day, this to me reads like one of the more problematic texts because of, you know, because it's so nefarious, because it, be it begins so like sweet and lulling and like platitudinal. Is that a word? Like a big platitude. And then when you really get into it and try to like understand it in day-to-day -day life, it can, can become, it can become a justification for real violence. And I just go back to, I really think it's how we interpret it. Yeah. So, uh, I feel like we, um, talked a lot about this, uh, lots of different points of view here. Um, we'd like to hear yours. So what do you, what do you think about it? Tweet at us, uh, and let us know. We always like to hear your, your points of view. Speaking of which, we got some listener mail uh, this week, which I'm excited about. Um, Adele Henderson and Julian Bond on Twitter want us to talk about the Antichrist uh, the next time we cover Revelation. And I love that idea. There's so much in Revelation, y'all. And this will definitely go on our list for future fodder. Like, we're probably going to talk about that, like, maybe every October, because that was a really <laughs> Fun two episodes. Oh, I love the Antichrist. And thank you to our newest honorary Bible bitch, Paul Harrington. Oh my God, you're yes. amazing. Um, welcome to the Bible bitches. Uh, and if for the rest of you, if you want to support our work, toss us a few bucks on Patreon and we'll get you access to exclusive content and some swag on depending on your level of support. Um, thank you guys again for listening to us. You can find us on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Stitcher, or any any place you find your podcasts. 
that's also cool. Um, you can contact us on Twitter at Bible Bitches. Um, yeah, slide into our DMs. That's also never not going to sound bad. Um, if you have something you'd like to kind of privately talk to us about, um, you know, let us know how you react to whatever we're talking about. We'd love to hear that. Um, or just tweet at us. Like, we love that. Um, you can find us on our uh, fan page, Bible Bitches, on Facebook. Um, thank you so much to Engaged Gaze, G-A-Z-E, for hosting our, for being our, our host website. Uh, we love you at Aaron Doodles. He does our uh, logos and artwork. We really appreciate you. And of course, like, we couldn't do anything without Yo Eves because her intro and outro music just really makes it. Thank you so much. Thanks, y'all. Thank Catch you. you next time. Bye.